All right, we are beginning a new series today. It's called Five, Following Jesus in the City, Unpacking Our Values. And in this series, we're going to look at uh, what we believe as a church are the five most important aspects of following Jesus in San Diego. Okay, these five most important aspects uh, are what we call the values of our church. The values are the best ways that we believe uh, to experience God in your life and then to share him with others. And I, I just want to stop. Like, I know that there are organizations that have values. Sometimes churches have values. And um, it's really easy for us to think about values as like a thing that you put kind of in a poster up on a wall somewhere in an office. Uh, and you just never think about them. That's not what values are. That's not what values are designed to be. In fact, uh, do you know that, that your values actually determine the direction of your life? What you value dictates to you how well your life is, how good a life you think you have. Um, what you value, it determines even what you see uh, and how you evaluate your life, whether it's good or bad, meaningful or lame. And so shout out to kids, the kids, some of whom are with us. I know many of you are at home, you're on the couch, you're standing by, you're coloring, but kids, hey, hey, what's important to you? Think about that. What do you think is most important? In fact, like maybe we can think about it this way. What makes a day good for you? Like at the end of the day, what would you say uh, have, would have to happen in order for you to say, oh, I had a good day? I mean, maybe it would be like playing with your friends maybe finishing a good book, uh, maybe making progress in a video game, like conquering that next level, you know, making progress that way. Or maybe it's getting special time with dad at the end of the day. Maybe it's an all-out wrestling war with the family, with tickling and pouncing and pillow fighting. Maybe that's a good day. But I mean, what you think makes a good day actually helps you to know if you had a good day or not. Um, if your life experiences what you value, you'll feel good about your life. Now, one of the problems that we have is that we value a lot of things that are completely out of our control. There are things that we value, that we want, that we long for, that we judge ourselves by, that we can't control whether we experience them or not. And that creates all kinds of problems. It creates anxiety, it creates frustration, it creates a sense of inner lameness so often. This is why our church has five values. This is why we as elders, as elder advisors, went through the process of identifying like what are the things that God wants us to value? What are the things that God wants to us to use as a measurement of our lives and how we're doing? And so we're going to go through these five values in this series and today we're going to talk about the first value of our church. We have five values. The first value of our church is that we are gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered. So what does this mean? This means that the gospel is at the center. Thank you. It's at the center of who we are. Now, when we say that, we've got to ask the question, well, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel, the word gospel just means good news. Okay? And so the gospel, being gospel-centered, is good news about Jesus. It's good news about who God is because of Jesus. And the gospel is the most important thing about us. 
It's, it's the sun and everything in our lives revolves around this sun of the gospel. Um, and so what this means is that at the core of our lives, okay, at the very center of who we are and how we feel and what we think and how we react and how we evaluate at the core of our lives, the story that we are living, what is most important about us is God. But not just God, at the center of our lives is the news, this amazingly good news of what God has done through Jesus. And so one way to summarize the gospel is in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. These verses are in your bulletin. If you want to turn there, you can. These are the verses that we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at today. Um, This is one place where we get a summary of the good news of Jesus. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says this, what then shall we say to these things? So we see here, Paul's, he's summing things up. If God is for us, so if you've got something to write with, I want you to circle the phrase for us, for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So this verse is telling us that first, that if God is for us, right, who else is going to stand again? Then no one else compares to God, right? And if God is for us, nothing else matters, right? And then it says, well, just how much is God for us? He's so for us that he didn't even spare his own son. He didn't even spare his own son. And so if he gave us the most incredible and extravagant gift, how will he not also give us every other smaller gift? Verse 33 says, Who shall bring a charge, any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So it's saying that no one can go to God and accuse you of anything because God's already declared you righteous. He's already accepted you. So no one can say anything against you. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who can condemn you? And I know if your life is anything like mine, when you fall into sin, you're like, well, I condemn myself. Or when you disappoint someone or you feel like you're not good enough for someone, then their presence in your life tells you that you're not good enough and you feel condemned by them. You feel ashamed, right? And so there are these voices and this verse, verse 34 comes in and says, wait, hold on. Who's going to condemn you before God when Jesus himself is the one who died for you? The God to whom you're going to stand, before whom you're going to stand, is the one who died and rose again. He's the one who is at the right hand of God. Oh, and by the way, he's already, he's interceding for you. He's pleading on your behalf, right? God himself is interceding for you. No one can condemn you. Verse 35, he goes on, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So if Jesus loves us this way, well, then is there anything that could happen to us that might disrupt that love from Jesus? That's the question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
Verse 36, as it is written, I mean, the answer is no. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so there are times, he's saying here, there are times where our suffering and our peril and our danger and our tribulation is actually for the sake of God. And so these things don't separate us from him. In fact, when we love him in the midst of all these things, then these things, these awful things are for God's sake. And that's why he says in verse 37, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am Sure, circle the word sure. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, so things going on in your life right now, nor things to come. So anything that you might do, anything that might be done to you, I am sure that none of this, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. (sighs) This is your God. This is who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus. And you know what this means? This means that God is for you. He's for you. He's on your side. The voices that condemn you are not his. The things that that bother you, that disturb you, that depress you, that, that give you anxiety, he is with you in the midst of all of it. He is for you. And so at the core of our faith, at the core of who we are is the gospel It's this story of Jesus that Jesus reveals that at the center of the universe is a God who is for you. At the center of the universe is a God who loves you. Because at the heart of this God is a love and a desire to care for you. the greatest act of love that God expressed is through the greatest act of sacrificial service. Jesus tells us this himself in John 15, verse 13. He said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this, this is exactly what God did in Jesus. And so a gospel-centered life revolves around this, right? This is a gospel-centered life as a life that revolves around this reality, okay? The Bible says two things. The Bible says that God offered his son as the greatest sacrifice for you. For you. That's what Romans 8 verse 32 actually says, right? We can look at it, look at it again. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all. 
So the Bible says that God offered his son as the greatest sacrifice for you. And then the second thing it says, the Bible says, is that God offered himself as the greatest sacrifice for you. Okay, and we see this, um, there's there's several places, just one, Isaiah 63, verse five. This is God talking here, okay? God is talking. He says, I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. God is saying, like, I looked and there was no one who could fix this. There was no one who could solve the problem. There was no one who could undo all that had been done, all of the brokenness, all of the torment, all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the ridicule, all the rebellion, all the greed, all the jealousy, all of the things that are in the core of who we are now, right? As sinful, broken people. God said, I looked and there was no one, so I came myself. And so we see these two things that God both offered his son and God himself came and gave himself for us. Both of these things are true and and they connect in the mystery of the Trinity that we see taught in the Bible and we don't quite understand it, but we don't need to because the reason why God says this in both of these ways is not so that we would then wonder and question and think, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Like the reason God said it this way is so that it would leave no doubt whatsoever in your mind as to how much God is for you. That's the point. In ancient literature, there is a question that gets asked and that gets debated. Like what is the greatest sacrifice possible? Is it self-sacrifice or is it the sacrifice of your child. And God says, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to do both because I am for you and I don't want you ever to doubt who I am for you. So what this means is that God will not stop at anything to rescue us from sin and selfishness from anything that we have done to vandalize his glorious creation because he's for you. Now, the gospel is not naturally at the core of our lives anymore. At the core of our lives now, because of our ancestors, but because of our own contributions, like sin in different ways is at the core of who we are. It's affected and tainted everything, every structure, every system in us individually, but also corporately in society, in our families, in our nation. And God has been pursuing us. Like from the first time that our first parents fell, God comes and asks us, where are you? God's first question in the Bible, where are you? He's asking that question right now, whether you're here, whether you're tuning in online. I mean, this is the question that God asks to invite us in to his presence, to let us know that we don't have to hide, that we don't have to run away from him, that he is saying, where are you? Come out, I'm here. 
He came in Genesis 3. He also comes then in Jesus. And when he comes in Jesus, he brings his power and his presence. So it leaves heaven and it comes to earth in a way that reverses all of it. He doesn't come to condemn, but he comes to rescue us and to renew us. And we know this because when Jesus showed up, he didn't exploit his equality with God. He was God, but he humbled himself. He didn't use his status as God to his own advantage. Instead, he served. I mean, this is crazy. If you get any amount of influence, any amount of status, you want to milk that status to get as much as you possibly can in our society today. But that's not what Jesus did. He came to earth and was born in a manger. He lived in Nazareth. He came and he served. And he served and he served and he served. He served us to the point of death. Even the shameful, humiliating death of the cross. The author of life became the abused one. The one who authored life was abused by the living. And again, he did this for you. He did this so that you would know that there is no limit to his love, so that you would know exactly what he's like. The one who has all the power and all of the authority, he uses all of his power and all of his authority to serve you, to meet your needs, to rescue you and to renew you, to find the darkness in your life and in your heart and to bring his light and his presence to set you free. And so Jesus gave his life on the cross to break the power that sin has over us. And then God raised Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead and he highly exalted him. So there's something called the ascension where Jesus ascended into the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of God. What does this mean? Well, this means that Jesus is above all, that God put Jesus in charge of his kingdom, which means that Jesus is the kind of leader, that Jesus' leadership is the leadership that God wants to infiltrate the entire world. We see this even like our 40 days of prayer is reminding us of this, right? I don't know if you've seen the verse for today yet, but it's Isaiah 30 verse 18. And it says this, it's this beautiful picture of what Jesus does. It says, therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And so we see here that God exalted Jesus so that you would know that he is the ultimate authority. So that when Jesus forgives you, you will know that no one can undo his mercy. Jesus is at the highest realm of authority so that you'll know that when he says, I forgive you, no one else can lay a charge against you. No one else can say anything else that matters because his opinion of you matters more. And so, friends, this is the story. This is the narrative that's at the center of all that we do. It's at the center of who we are. 
This story becomes, it like becomes the soundtrack of our lives. It's the soundtrack that's playing. It's the musical score that's always playing in the background, right? You know, sometimes in movies, like the music, you know, sort of crescendos and gets really loud and it's sort of dominating because there's no dialogue. Other times, uh, the music fades, you know, but most movies actually have a, a soundtrack that's going on all the time. And when you pay attention to it, you can hear it. The gospel is the soundtrack that God wants always playing in our lives. The story of who he is and that he's for you. This gospel, it gives everything to us. And it demands everything from us. This gospel is both the unconditional love of God that accepts us just as we are, but then he calls us to obedience. He calls us to honor him. He calls us to live in a way that would make sense if he were God and we were forgiven sinners, right? And so it demands everything from us. And so this story of Jesus, it replaces the other stories in our lives, right? The story of sins, the stories of addictions, the stories of brokenness, right? The stories where we are at the center of our lives. Jesus' story replaces those stories. Like the stories that, that we live sometimes that where we say that we're not good enough. Jesus replaces the, that story. And so what is your story? What's the story that you've been living? Let Jesus enter today, whether it's for the first time or for some of you, it's the 101st time because we forget, don't we? We turn the soundtrack off. We play other music, other stories. We let those things dominate our lives. Let Jesus enter today and begin to write your story into his direction. God replaces these stories by revealing himself, right? It's not just the story of sacrifice. It's the story of love. And, and it's a love that is so infinitely personal that it sees us. It accepts us. It loves us. It understands us. The story in my life was that if I don't care for myself, no one else will. That was the story that dominated my life before I met Jesus. Was that if I don't care for myself, no one else will. But now, because I've centered my life, because someone told me that Jesus was interested in helping me, that someone told me that Jesus was interested in loving me and caring about me, but that it was going to require that I follow him and obey him and give him the authority in my life, but that Jesus loved me and cared for me. And so now, because I've accepted that, because I've put my faith in Jesus, because I've centered my life around the gospel, and like I'm nowhere near perfect, but now... I spend most of my time caring about other people. Like I'm not the center anymore. Like Jesus is the center. And Jesus then, like I find him in everybody else. I just want to center my life around them and their needs. And I know that in the midst of this, nothing can separate me from his love. And this is huge because life is suffering. Life is difficult, sometimes in huge ways, but sometimes it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It's that 
slow, low grade. You're not really allowed to complain about it because it's such a little thing, but it's over and over and over and over and over again. It's a relationship that just drains you a little bit every single time and it just destroys you on the inside, right? Jesus is there disrupting those stories now for me and reminding me of this story. And if he cares about me, if he is for me, <laughs> what Captain America says, I could do this all day. Like there is a strength that is renewed and I could do this all day. That the pain that I'm receiving in this relationship, the frustration that I'm going through in this situation is nothing compared to the love that Jesus has shown me. And sometimes I just look over at Jesus and he smiles because he knows that I know that his love is enough and that we're going to get through this. And so this story, it has power. It has power to set us free because if God himself didn't live for himself, right? If God himself at the core of his being is love and service, then this is where we find value, right? This is why, this is one of the values of our church. It's because this is where we find value. This is where we find meaning when we walk in this story, when this story becomes our story, when we don't just receive this amazing love of God in the gospel, but it begins to work in us and through us to love others. Like we realize that, man, we're actually significant, that Jesus wants to express his gospel love to other people through you, like that you are his image here on earth. You're his body. And so we walk in and among a city with people who know him and we encourage them in their faith. And then there's people who don't know him and we want them to know his love. We become embodiments and we find significance and encouragement in this. Like when we value the gospel, we find that our lives have meaning when we live in line with the gospel. And this changes us from the inside out. Um, so saying that we are gospel-centered, it means that our lives are centered around the story of Jesus. We want our lives to look like his. And so let's take action, okay? Give you some things to do this week. First, first I want you to pray, right? I want you to pray and ask yourself or ask God, um, how is my life centered on the gospel? Like, how is my life centered on the gospel? Saying, is my life centered on the gospel? That's kind of a yes or no question. You can get out of the question too easy. How? In what ways is my life shaped by the story of Jesus? And go to the Lord. Like, ask him. Talk to him about this. Um, get honest with him. He's for you, so it's safe. If your life is not centered on the gospel... You can give your life to Jesus. You can commit to him. You can commit to following the gospel, to receiving his love, and then following him in this. And then two, ask yourself, talk about it in your life groups. How can I keep this soundtrack playing? How can I keep the soundtrack of the gospel playing 
in my life. Um, one great way, you're doing it right now. <laughs> Being in church, this is one way to like, to unpause the soundtrack, right? It gets, the, it gets the music playing again. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, right. This is what's important. This is what I'm about. This is, you know, um, so church is a great way to do this. Life groups, amazing way to do this. Personal time with God is huge here. In whatever way reminds you of the good news of Jesus. So it could be Bible reading, prayer, journaling. It could be listening to music, conversation with other people, brothers and sisters in the church. Um, but here's the secret. The secret is it's repetition. It's repetition. Um, I have something to show you. This chair was at a friend's house. And uh, I sat on this chair and uh, my sizable girth was too much for the chair. And I didn't sit on the chair, I sat on the floor. I busted through the seat of the chair and, uh, and broke it. And so I was like, oh, dang it. And then I found out the chair belongs to Madison. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I'm sorry, Madison, I broke your chair. Um, but when I found out it was Madison's, like, well, dang, I got to replace it because I wouldn't have replaced it if it wasn't Madison's. For some reason, finding out it was Madison's chair made me feel like I should replace it. So, um, so I thought about replacing it. And I was like, wait, hold on. I think I can fix this. And uh, I talked to my next-door neighbor who does a lot of sewing, and she was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work because there's just nothing that you can do because you got to get the fabric to overlap and the, the thread's not going to be strong enough and the fabric's already torn, it's not going to work. So you should just go buy another chair. And so I was like, all right, well, but then I didn't want to do that. So I was like, I think I can do this. I think I can sew this. And so that's what I did. So I sewed it. You can see, we got some photos for those of you who are online. You can see close up. Um, what I want you to see is that there are over 70 stitches here along this line, 70 stitches. And then I turned the corner, you know, cause it was a little bit torn up here, 70 stitches on this chair. And uh, guess what? It works. Yay, right? Like who knew the pastor could sew? Um, why am I telling you this? Well, any one of those stitches would have been completely worthless. But 70 of them actually hold my commensurate girth, right? 70 of these stitches, like if you do the math, you can divide by 70. But I mean, but the point is that like, it's, it's these stitches all bunched up. It's 70 stitches. And so the, the, the stitches individually, they don't do much, but man, like the point is, like this is why repetition is the key to you keeping the soundtrack of the gospel playing in your lives, right? I know what it's like to spend time with God and have nothing happen, right? I get it. You read the Bible, you maybe pray, you get up and you walk away and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. I couldn't even tell you what I just read. Like, I get it. And so there are times where a given day might not feel significant. But if you line up 70 days in a row where you're spending time with God, the amount of suffering in your life that you can endure because the soundtrack of the gospel 
is playing in your life is enormous. And it's not about the checked boxes, although if you need to do that, that's kind of exciting. Hey, I, I read the Bible 70 days in a row. Like, that would be awesome. Like, if you want that, go for it. But the purpose of doing those things is that it reminds you that Jesus is for you. It reminds you that the gospel is real and it's the center of your life. And so when the hard things come, you're, you're in the ark. You're in the love of Jesus. And these things don't overwhelm. And so how can I keep the soundtrack playing? Think about that. Answer that for yourself. What does repetition look like for you? And then the last thing um, is, then where is the gospel calling me to change? I want you to ask yourself and answer that question. Where is the gospel calling me to change? Um, this story of this God, if this is who Jesus is, and Jesus is the revelation of God, then what are the areas of your life that don't line up with this understanding of who God is? Think through that and begin to take some steps to re-score, right? To put this new soundtrack of the gospel into these areas of your life. And then I guess I would also just add a fourth thing, and this is just a quick encouragement. Um, please, please give. With October coming, we're beginning the fourth quarter of our church. You can see where we are in the general offering in the, in the bulletin. Um, I just want to encourage you to continue to give generously to the church. That as the year is, is coming toward the end, um, we want all of us to continue to give generously to support so that we can preach this gospel, so that we can unpause the soundtrack that's been paused in our lives and unpause it here on Sundays and, and continue to provide leadership for the gospel in our church and in our city. Um, on Wednesday of this last week, we did that joint worship service with Second Sunday and New Birth Kingdom Covenant Church, and it was amazing. It was, the, it was so awesome to see our folks worshiping with these other church leaders, and um, the last song that they sang just overwhelmed me. Um, they sang the song, it's called The Blessing. And uh, there's a version of it on YouTube with Carrie Job and the Elevation Worship Band. And it's like this 12-minute rendition of this song. And but they, so we sang it, and it was the last song that they sang. And it's, it's the blessing from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And they just, they're just singing scripture. And there's this place toward the end of the song where like, it's like it's past the bridge. There's just this chorus that goes, he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. It's for you and your children and their children and their children to a thousand generations. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And he goes before you, and he's behind you, and he's beside you, and he's all around you, and he's in you. And the point is, and just he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. And as they're singing this, I just got overwhelmed with the presence of God. And God like filled up my spirit in a way that moved me to tears, and it just made me feel like I was going to burst inside. Friends, this is the gospel. 
that when we come face to face with this God who is so glorious that we couldn't stand in his presence but for his forgiveness. And we find out that when we come face to face with him, he is for us. He loves us. He knows everything about us and he's still for us. He's on our side. Friends, this is why we love him. This is why we follow him. This is why no matter what he wants, we will do it. This is why we submit to his authority because of who he is. So let's pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you. You could have been any kind of God. We'd have no control over who you are. And yet you are for us. We want to receive your presence. We want to let this part of who you are, this expression that Jesus shows us so clearly come into our lives and to walk with us. Help this Jesus to drown out the other voices and the other influences, the other stories that are in our lives. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Turn the direction of your life to follow him and he will be for you as well. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've lived apart from you. I want to come back to you. Forgive my sins and lead me. Lead me going forward. Thank you, God, for being for us. Amen.